Well, this uh, this past fall, in the last several months, we've been as we've been celebrating our 20 years, uh, uh, an interesting story has been uh, reemerged, and 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 that's the story of how hope got its name. Um, for those of you you know might need the reminder, uh, the way hope got its name was really pretty simple. We when we planted this church some 20 years ago, we went out into the neighborhood with a clipboard and we went door to door and we asked people what name did they like. They had three choices. They could choose Adventure Christian Church or Celebration Christian Church or or Hope Christian Church. And to be candid, Hope Christian Church wasn't really a win in the race. And and, uh, to be quite frank and honest with you, it wasn't my favorite. I wanted Celebration Christian Church. But we asked this guy who was watering his yard, and uh, he had on this T-shirt promoting a, a place in Las Vegas, and he was drinking a Budweiser, and he was just, you know, he, he and he, you could tell he really didn't want to have anything to do with church. But he said, he answered the survey by saying hope, and we asked him why, and he said, well, because if I were to go to church, that's why I would go. I'd want to find hope. So that just, honestly, just convinced us that was the name. That was the name. And, and it's amazing what a name can do. It's amazing it, the power that is behind a name. Uh, when you look at Scripture, you know, the name of, of, of Jesus, the name of God, there's over 200 names in the Bible for God, over 200 powerful names. And, and if that doesn't convince you, even just in this world alone, it, it's amazing to see and fascinating to see what we do with names. Um, there's this Guinness Book of World Record holding name uh, that I can put here on the screen. This was someone who was born on September 12, 1984. This, this girl, uh, daughter of, of James Williams, took on this name. Now, I'm not even going to try to announce it. But uh, th- th- that, that first group of letters, Roshana, Telly, Inesh, whatever, and, and the second group of Koyan, that's the first name, second name, and third name of all things. Can you imagine what this girl went through in junior high? I mean, <laughs> anyway, what, what's, even, what's even more fascinating about the story, why it's a Guinness, excuse me, a Guinness record holder, is that uh, later on, uh, like three weeks later, after this legal name was given, the father, James Williams, wasn't satisfied, and so he added 1,009 characters to the first name and, and 36 to the second name. But just to break a record. So it's amazing what we do to name, to name our kids. I mean, sometimes we pick family as a reason, or sometimes we may pick, oh, the fact that it's a, uh, you know, family name of inheritance of some grandparent or, or your own name, or, or maybe we want all the kids to have the first initial the same, you know, Dennis and Donna and David and Doug or whatever it is. And, and, and then sometimes we, we like trendy names, you know, like, oh, well, my name is Fred, but I don't spell it with an F, I spell it with a PH. You know, and, and so we, we, you know, we, we like these different approaches to names, but the fact of the matter is, uh, all these names, even the Hope Christian Church name, it, it all pales in comparison to the matchless name of Jesus. You got it. The matchless name of Jesus. And so as we, as we kind of turn to this holiday season and looking at Christmas, uh, we're, we're going to take a look at this series of He Shall Be Called because the Bible makes it very clear as to why God and why Jesus is named who he is and, and some of the names that are attached to him. 
some of the names that were given to him. And, and so I want us to turn to the prophet Isaiah in our Bibles. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, on page 523. We see, uh, we see this description of what Jesus' name would be. Now, now let me give you some background on Isaiah. It's important to know the context where we're at in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is called Isaiah because Isaiah wrote it. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, now, the reason he was a prophet was at this time, the, the people of Israel, they had been split off in past, from a civil war years ago. And this was about 700 years before Jesus. And as, as split off into two nations. There was a nation in the north called Israel, a nation in the south called Judah. And the nation in the north, they were sinful. They didn't follow God. And because of that, God punished them by having the Assyrians, some 500, 300 miles away, capture them, took them all, held them off, made them slaves. And this is a neighboring nation to the nation of Judah. So this took place, and Judah is nervous because they can just they can see the Assyrians right at their doorstep, and they're wondering, are they next? Are we going to be next to be taken over? And God sends to them, in this time, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And he gives them this message. And in essence, the message is that I have a protector for you. I've got someone who's going to rescue you. And you're always going to be in my hand. And so let's look at this particular message. Here's some of the meat of it in chapter 9, starting out in verse 1. Nevertheless... That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lie along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be, will be filled with glory. There's the promise of restoration right there. there. This darkness that you're going through, it's not going to last forever. But then there's more to it in this promise. Verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you, a people rejoice at the, as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. You see the names? You catch the context here? 
Here you are, a people struggling, wondering, are they going to be next? When is the darkness going to stop? And here's the promise from God, God's chosen spokesperson, Isaiah, telling him, you're going to be restored and you're going to be given a gift amongst that restoration. It's going to be a child and he's going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Great names, four great names. And so as we, as we continue on in this, in this Christmas season, I want us to take a look at he shall be called these names. These are the names of God. And, and it's important to note that, the, that these names, it, it's the personage of, of, of the Messiah. It, it's God himself. And, and you see that cue in verse 6 when it says, For a child is born to us and a son is given to us. That, that shows us the duality of the Messiah, that the Messiah is human and the Messiah is divine. He's human. He's a child. He's born. He's a flesh. He's a normal kid, if you will. But he is divine in that he is a son that is given to us. Children come from God. This is the divine gift from God in the form of Jesus. And that's important to know because th- this, this name of this person that's being described here is beyond anything that man could ever generate. And you can tell that by knowing a little bit about the history of this first name, Wonderful Counselor. The name Wonderful Counselor, in the original language of Hebrew, wonderful is this word Pela. Now, in, in the Old Testament, the word wonderful, Pela, is only used to describe the actions of God. Wonderful is not used to describe any human act. Wonderful is not used to describe any, anything that man could create or man could, could manufacture or man could do. It's only used when God has done something. Look at a, uh, what Moses declared in Exodus chapter 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Actions of God, only our God, Yahweh, Jehovah, not other gods. And then in Psalm 77, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. Again, Thela, you have made known your might among the peoples. Wonderful was not used for man. It was used for God himself. So God is a counselor. The the counselor is is just a normal counselor word. Advice, guidance, instruction, uh, wisdom. But this counselor is a God counselor. When, he, when Isaiah used the word wonderful counselor, he's making this distinction. He's not just warm and fuzzy wonderful. He's not just a counselor that might have a good, <laughs> might have a good uh, pay rate and it doesn't cost so much to, to help you through counseling, and so they're wonderful. Or, or, or he's not just a good friend counselor. He's divine. 
This is a wisdom that comes to us that is here to blow our, to just blow our minds away because the wonder is something that we couldn't come up with on our own in a human realm. Do you see that? You see that? And so now think, think for just a moment, just, you know, kind of fast forward the story about, about this prophecy of Jesus. Think about Jesus when he's, uh, when he's 12 years old and, and, and with his family, the common practice is to go to Jerusalem, to go to the temple and at feast, and they made it as a pilgrimage. They traveled as families. They traveled in groups and in bunches. And on this one time at 12 years old, the family went on the pilgrimage, and then they went home. And they're, they're driving home, and all of a sudden they notice that their preteen is not in the car. <laughs> and they're probably wondering, why is it so quiet? Well, where, oh, wait a minute. Where is Jesus? Jesus is back at the temple teaching the Pharisees all this wisdom and knowledge that they had no idea existed in the scrolls of the Old Testament. It was a wonder of what he was teaching. Look at, an, look at another spot of Jesus' life. He's on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the beginning of his teaching, if you will, with his, with his followers. And the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And at the end, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, it, it says these words. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished, uh, the Greek word of ekpleso, at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, this, this word ekpleso is an awesome word because it kind of describes our response to wonder. Ekpleso, ek is the root, meaning wholly out, completely out, totally out, removed from. And then pleso means to strike out, means that nothing else is left. So it is to say that by Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, they were left with no other thought or no other explanation for how this could have been. They were dumbfounded. Their minds were blown. It was wholly out. There was no way of understanding how did he come up with this? Where did this come from? It was a wonder. It was a wonder. It was from God himself. And so when we see this term of, of wonderful counselor, basically what we're seeing Isaiah tell us here is that, you know, the enemy's at your door, but there's a rescuer that will blow your mind with guidance on how to get out. So no matter what you're going through, Whatever hardship you might have, you feel like the enemy's right at your door, right next to you, or maybe even in your house itself, we have a wonderful counselor who can blow your mind with how to get out, on how to be let out, and how, how it's going to end, and how there will be a rescue and a restoration. That's something to praise, isn't it? Amen. Let's give Jesus applause. Let's give God applause. This is a wonderful counselor that we have. Now, now, having said that, having said that, there's there's really three kind of people that respond to counsel. 
Uh, let, let me give them, let me kind of walk through them real quickly. The first kind of person is you can look at Adam and Eve and you can see that, that human beings, oftentimes, we seek poor counsel. We, we get half truth information, half, we get half guidance. We, we, we go on, we go on Google and try to find what the solution might be, you know, or, or we look at, we look at biased news. No matter what news you're looking at, it's biased. It's, it's, and it's polarized one side or the other. You're not getting the full story and to, to try to help us navigate things or, or sometimes we'll, we'll turn to counsel from people who are just as stuck, just as broken as we are. And not turn to God. So we have sort of a group of people that oftentimes, and we can go in and out of each group. Believe me, I belong to all three sometimes. But sometimes, you know, we can be a people that just get the wrong advice from the wrong person, following the wrong, following the wrong lead. Um, and so the, the second group of people, besides people who are getting the wrong kind of advice, are people that, um, people that don't get advice, people that receive, they don't want any counsel. It's a pride thing. And you can tell when someone's in that space, you know, you know, you tell them something and you feel it's really good, wise counsel. You you followed it before. It was given to you. It got you out. And the person says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, which is everybody saying a butt out. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And, and, and we can be like that. We can refuse counsel. We can refuse guidance. And then the third person is somebody that actually does receive wise counsel. Someone who's humble and knows that, you know, I don't know everything. I don't have the answer to everything. And, and I need some wisdom. And I need some guidance. And candidly, our, our humanness, we tend to turn to God when we're broken and everything else has failed. We, we typically don't turn to God to counsel and guidance when things are going good. Because we're just egocentric that way to thinking that we've got it handled and, and, and we're doing things well. Uh, so we've got this awesome, wonderful counselor available to us all the time, 24-7. And so God wants us to turn to that. Now, if you need a little more convincing, I want to spend the rest of my time here giving you some reasons why God is a wonderful counselor. Uh, the, the first reason that God's a wonderful counselor is that he already knows what we need. He knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows it all. Uh, he, he, he says very clearly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says to us, if we have that on the slide, please, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. He knows what we need. Sometimes if you're stuck and you're needing counsel and you don't know what you need, you can ask him, what do I need to be asking for? What am I missing? Maybe what what's wrong with me? What 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 am I, what am I not seeing? Where am I blocked? But you know, Jesus knows already knows what we need before we even ask. So He knows everything we need. The second thing is that Jesus invites us to unload everything on Him, to unload everything on Him, our anger, our frustration, our pain our shame, our guilt, our, our ignorance. He wants us to be able to give him everything. First Peter chapter 5 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That means lift you up. 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Everything, every worry, every, every, every thought that we have that's going over and over in our mind when we, when we meditate on negativity. <laughs> if you're meditating on negativity, it's called worry. Okay, And rather than meditating on negative thoughts, meditate on the positive of Jesus. If nothing else, just say Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, and until your brain and your heart get lined up spiritually with, with the guy who's got all the answers, with, with the one who wants you to give him everything, give him your job, give him your health, give him your parents' health, give him your children's well-being, give him your, your finances. It, it all belongs to him anyway. Why, why are you holding on to it? Why are you carrying it? He wants to carry it. And so he, he wants us. He, he wants us to unload everything. And a third reason that he's a great, wonderful counselor is because he's been there. He's been there. there there's not a world experience that humans can go through that hasn't been experienced and touched emphatically by, by Jesus himself. Family dying. Abused. Abandoned. Betrayed. Lied to. Having to deal with a bunch of bozos who probably frustrated the tar out of them. Twelve followers not getting it for three years. I mean, he, he, he went through it all. Uh, scripture tells us this as well in, in, in God's Word. We see in Hebrews, the author told us, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's, he's gone through it. And a lot of times, whatever we're going through, it, it, you're probably two degrees, maybe three, sometimes one degree of separation from thinking that it's the end. And thinking that, you know, the, the way your heart is, is as if life is going to end for you. Well, you know what? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you surrender to him and give him your life, you don't have a life here anymore. Uh, you're dead already. <laughs> when we get baptized, we, we bury ourselves into the water of life and, and rise to live a new life. Uh, we live forever. This life is just temporary. I don't know, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 100 years, whatever. It, it, it's, just, it's just a short shot until we're living forever with God. And, and he's been through everything here on this world, so he can guide us through it because the difference here is that God wants to lead us to our identity and our destiny. And I hope you're seeing that in some of, the, in some of these descriptions that we're looking at. Because this name of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, it's part of his identity and part of his destiny. And when people were named in the Bible, you see that they were named based upon that identity and based upon that, that destiny. Abram is, is, a, great, is a great example. Abram the, Abram, the father of the faith. He was born Abram. Abram means father of, of people, Ram. So when God gave him a promise saying, bless you with many nations, he changed his name to father 
of many people, Abraham. So it shows that it's his identity and his destiny, just as Jesus is. And so when we want to see God as this wonderful counselor, where he's sending us to is based upon our identity in him and the destiny that he has for us. Not necessarily based on what we want or the path that we want to take to get there, but he's showing us a way to get to where he wants us to go and the path that we will go through, which will have hardship and trial and suffering and sometimes, not always, but many times. But that doesn't change our identity, and that doesn't change our destiny. And so when we follow his wise counsel, we know that he's been through everything that, that, that's been out there. The fourth reason, you know, we see that he already knows what we need. He invites us to unload on you. Uh, he's been there. And, and the fourth reason is he is the answer to every single question. He is the answer. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when he said the truth, he didn't say I'm a concept. He didn't say I'm an idea. He said I'm a personage called truth. I'm a personage called way. I'm a personage called life. I am truth. I am truth. Not just a truth, not just a, a concept, but he, 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 it's, it's like he is this word of wholeness and peace and serenity and completedness and power and might and love for every situation. We talked a, bit, a little bit about this last week. We, remember we were talking about the Bible, the Word of God. And we're talking about how John described Jesus as being in the beginning was the, the Word. And the Word became flesh and dealt, dwelt among us. Jesus is this Word. Jesus is this connection. Uh, we see how that's kind of explained by Paul later when he says to Timothy that, you know, every word here is inspired, inspirited by God. The, the Holy Spirit exists in this. This is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. Guidance from him is, is him. Following him for guidance of our identity and our destiny and in the situations that we have in life, that's our connecting to him and being with him. Not just getting an idea of how to solve a problem. There's a big difference with that because there's a connection and a relationship. Everything God does is about relationship. Everything God has designed is for oneness with us. And, and so we see that with, with our turning to him as a counselor. And then the, the last thing, the last thing about why he's such a wise counselor is he, he, uh, he gave us such a helpful resource in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been to counseling uh, several times. Probably not enough. Seriously, I, I, it's counseling to me is just it, it, good, godly counseling is coaching. I've gone there for different reasons, personal level, just being stuck. And I'll, I'll call up a counselor friend of mine that is uh, I, I trust really well, got my background, got my history, you know, sort of not like, exactly like Jesus in terms of knowing everything. But I don't have to just like Jesus is, knows exactly what I need. I don't have to go into my family history. I can just flop on the couch and go. Here's what I'm stuck up against. I, I, I'm, help me get out, right? I can just, and, and they give me good counsel. 
They give me good counsel to get out. They give me an aha moment. But the difference, the difference is that with a worldly counselor is, is that unless, the, unless she, unless she knows and has been through exactly what I've been through, she can only really sympathize with me. She can have compassion for what I'm going through. But because she's never gone through it, she can't be empathetic. And she can't know exactly what I've gone through. And the Holy Spirit being the embodiment of God himself, he being the embodiment of knowing what I need, the embodiment of of um, of wanting to receive everything, the embodiment of of having been there before, the embodiment of, of truth, the Holy Spirit who lives in me, who's accessible to me all the time, is there as my divine wonder access point to download things I can't even see or can't even know. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. And, and sometimes when I go to a worldly counselor, the best thing I can get, and it, it's helpful, is I'll walk away with an assignment. They'll say, read this book or here's this insight or, or look at this particular trait of psychology that kind of explains things. And, and you know, it, it can help. It's a good tool. But Jesus gives us himself. Look what he said in John chapter 14. Here's, here's what he said about this resource. But the advocate, the paraclete, the one who comes along beside and calls us out to be who we are supposed to be. That's what the word advocate means. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is that access to the wonder council the unimaginable divine counsel. So as, as we move forward here in, in, into this Christmas season, we, we have to really stop and, and take a look at, you know, Jesus came to die. He came to pay a price. The, the, this counsel, this guidance that he gave to us, it, it was paid for. It's not free. It costs something. It cost God everything. He paid the full price so that we could have the wisdom to follow him, the, the divine knowledge, the divine reference points, so that no matter what category we're in, whether it's one, two, or three, whether we're you know getting bad counsel or ignoring counsel or, or trying to seek godly counsel, he's there to be available to us because he wants it to be given to us. I, I truly hope we see that, that he, he wants us to have this counsel. It's not just something that's on the shelf, like only in an emergency, break the glass and grab it. it, it it's there all the time for us to be included with him so we can walk and live this path with him. So we can live this path with him. Look, look at this last word I think that I've got. Here on the screen, if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He wants us to walk with him and be with him, be cleansed with him, and, and to be following that wise counsel. So as we go about our Christmas 
I, I honestly pray that we, we, we get to see maybe a different perspective of, of what we're going through and, and what's available to us, who's available to us, how he's available to us, and what he has in store for us. Let, let, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to come to you, that we can open up your Bible, we can open up your word. Uh, my prayers for anyone here today who... Um, is stumbling with that a little bit or is looking forward to learning more about that. Lord, I I pray they take some action. We've got brochures on how to read the Bible. I I pray, Lord, they hear in this this prayer right now just the encouragement to check out the, 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 the daily bread. It's an application that you can get for your phone that we can come to you for wonderful counsel every day, that, that we can seek you, we can have mentors, people who are maybe further down the path than we are, people who might have some wisdom, who've been through it in, in, in this world, to be able to not just give their ideas, but to usher us to you and your ideas. The, the, the pure role of a mentor, Lord. May we, may we take action with that. And, and Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that we would we'd pray to you. We'd be in that conversation asking you for guidance, just the simplest of prayers saying, show me what you want to show me. Let me see what you want me to see in my life. And Lord, I I pray as well that we'll pursue you. We'll we'll chase after you. We we have our season of fasting coming up in January. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts will begin to have that hunger as we pursue you now and seeking you, God. Because your, your word's alive, you're alive, Lord, and, and we know that you're not just the smartest guy in the room. We know, Lord, that you're beyond our understanding. You're beyond what we see. You are beyond what we know. Thank you, Lord, that you are the source. And you pull us in and set us free by being truth. In Jesus' precious name we pray, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen.